Hi and welcome to another edition of Hippo Brain. Here is where we have hippo-sized conversations with people with hippo-sized brains. Today, I am in front of two Rajeshes. Rajesh, my co-host and my friend and my partner in crime and whom I really love and admire over the years that I've come to meet him. But the other Rajesh, I will call him Talaiwar because I've had the privilege of working with him many years ago and everything I probably understand of brand strategy and working and etc. is all through Rajesh. He's the only guy who I know uh, who's made me forget sleep, who's made me forget uh, food, who's made me forget everything else and work. And why? Just because he wants it done. But he's never asked me for it. He's such a great guy. Now, it's very difficult to introduce such a character. And um, Talaiwar is one such character. He's actually the part of a team and he's co-founded a company called Center of Gravity that, that does brand consulting. But when you ask brand consulting, Talaiwar will say, nah, brand consulting, nah, we are, listen to it. We are in the business of stories. And I'm like, Ye kya ho gaya, yaar? stories kaan se aage? So he's explaining and he talks about how brands need to tell stories. He needs to understand how he listens to stories, etc. But I can go on and on and on. If you want to listen not to me, but you're here to listen to Thalaiwar. And let me ask the first question that will kick it off. Yaar, ye sab brand stories hai kya? Do you brands need to really tell stories? They just need to advertise here. Tell me what you understand about stories, Rajesh. Hmm. So uh, now that that is introduction, the only way to answer that is through a story. Uh, let, let me tell you a story. Okay. Uh, this was the year 2007, thereabouts, 2007, 2008. And one of our uh, clients, uh, uh, one of the India's largest decor brands, uh, they had called us to do some work to launch a luxury paint in Kerala. So myself and my colleague, uh, Dilip Shankar, uh, we land up in Cochin uh, as part of the standard stuff we do, right? Market research, meeting customers, architects, we did all the drama. And at some point in time, uh, we start to travel towards Trivandrum. We were sitting in a car. There is this uh, local sales officer who's sitting with us, a guy called Pradeep. Uh, in some, I think it's a relationship officer, whatever he was called. So Pradeep is sitting with us in the car and he's telling, as soon as you go into Trivandrum, we have to see something really magical and different. And he kept setting us up for something bizarre or interesting that he wanted to show to us. And the entire journey, he was kind of talking about this anticipated home that we were all going to see. Fair enough, four, four and a half hours later, we drive down. It's beautiful Kerala, right? And we kind of hit, uh, 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 come to Trivandrum. We hit a cul-de-sac. We take a left. And this is 2007. In the middle of absolutely pristine green fields, you see this horrendous looking orange house. It's a two-storied house painted in bright uh, flaming orange, uh, what is called a sunrise orange. So I'm, I'm really shocked looking at that. And uh, we kind of come to the gate, we get out. And there's a mild sense of aesthetic condescension in my heart. It's not like I have any great claim to aesthetics, but we are like that, right? We kind of have a view on everything under damn, I mean, we have everything on, under everything under the earth, we have a damn view. So we go to the gate and this uh, owner walks out of the house. He kind of comes to the gate and he introduces himself. We introduce ourselves. Uh, he tells my name is, uh, uh, let's call him uh, San for the timing in the interest of privacy. So San tells us this is my house. And I tell him interesting color because we can't tell the truth. That will be rude. You can't tell a lie because that will show up on your face. And he tells me in Malayalam, Unna arachin nikinam. Uh, essentially, it means I want people to stop dead in their tracks. So I can't make sense of it. And I'm thinking in my mind, okay, whatever. And we walk into the house. We walk into this absolutely opulent, plush, baroquish kind of house. And that house is like a well-done Miss Havisham's house on steroids. You have this huge uh, chandeliers, massive upholstered sofas, massive curtains, like you see in the old cinema theaters where this gold and maroon color stuff come down. It's too much, you know, it's like an assault, uh, virtually an assault on the senses. And slowly as this condition is happening, my condescension is increasing. And I, I, I mean aesthetic condescension. I don't mean it in a human sense. He takes us around the house. He walks us into the bathroom. The bathroom has got jacuzzi and sauna, but there's also a plastic bucket and a mug. Uh, and as I'm looking at him, he's a normal Malu uh, middle-class guy with a mundu, veshti, what a mundu and a, and a shirt. He looks like any of us. And, I can't find out the resonance between the home and the person. And I'm trying to make sense of it along with the lip. But anyways, I kind of go around the house. There's a, in Kerala, there's an idea of showroom kitchens, which is the kitchen for showing to guests. 
and then the work kitchen is in the back so he takes us through all of the drama and uh, in my mind i'm thinking okay come on yeah please kind of thing and we walk into the balcony in the balcony he introduces us to this painter who is sitting and mixing paints his name is radha krishnan and he introduces me to radha krishnan i asked radha krishnan uh, i i kind of do the, the the normal greetings and so on and radha krishnan tells me in the conversation sare if anyone knows in this vicinity that i'm painting a house with this color i wouldn't get any work in this part of town because kerala is a fairly gossipy place for uh, all things that are done and i am from that place so anyway i laugh him off i go to the side of the balcony and then out of the blue for whatever background we had because of some brilliant researcher called jessie used to work with us we asked the question uh, san tell me about your life story and for the next one and a half two hours he tells us this beautiful story of how he arguably in a more secular more uh, less pressured place like kerala when it comes to caste and class and so on goes through all of those pressures during his growing up years his father is a constable in the police he doesn't have necessarily a good time the entire neighbors are looking down upon him he comes from a different community it comes from a lower economic strata so the pressure is intense and he is not doing too well in too good in studies either he fails in the 6th or 7th or whatever he fails around the uh, age of 18 19 when he can no longer make it past his studies his uncle comes from the patalam which is the army and it tells to idhar kya mar raha hai of course in malayalam to aaja and as is true of a lot of our carelike friends uh, which includes me as well of course i not go to the gulf uh, san lands up in the gulf so one morning he's sitting in one of these places in the gulf and the gulf shows a horror show right 20 25 years back you are virtually bonded laborer you're working in this um, huge construction camps you get up in the morning like uh, a lot of our it fellows also do sit in the in, in the car and they travel in one direction uh, sorry the bus in travel in one direction he has a really really tough time for about 5 uh, to 6 years it's absolute round the clock work 6 years later he's starting to make some money and he comes back home the first act of coming back home is a very powerful powerful act because he's coming back home after 6 years and uh, when he tells the story at that point time 15 years later actually he can't contain his emotions he's telling about he keeps using the word bayangaram bayangaram is it's too much for me to handle and he's starting to kind of go into that zone and telling that as he got down at the trivandrum airport the first thing that he does is actually start to look out for people who he can recognize because he wants to tell a story because he's the guy who was a nobody who left trivandrum many years back went to the gulf dubai has started to do reasonably well come back and he wants to tell a story this is no different from i'm sure many of our parents i can imagine my father having moved from nagarkoil uh, virtually possibly just about past in 10th or so he says he goes to madurai and he uh, does some industrial training institute can't find a job works as a projector operator in a cinema theater in madurai for two years the first time he goes back home after he comes to bangalore and gets a job i'm sure he would have been really proud he would have got out of the train he would have looked around he would have told stories of how he's doing well in bangalore from the jola he would have moved a vip suitcase he would have had a hmt watch so shage is pretty much going through all of those emotions and he lands up in trivandrum the first time after his six year stint in dubai for the next two two and a half weeks he virtually meets every single relative and friend because he really wants to tell a story of how he's doing well and after having gone through all of that for two weeks he finally goes back to dubai and he tells about how angry he is when he goes back but anyway 15 years later he's opened a small restaurant he's made a ton of money he sells the restaurant and with that suitcase full of money he lands up back in trivandrum and the first thing he does is to break down his old house of which he doesn't have great memories and to build a two storied house not only does he build a two storied house he paints it with sunrise orange and at some point the condition he stops suddenly and tells you know sir all this wealth this four five cars that you see in the distance all this rubber plantations that you see from the balcony all of that is fine but all it takes is just one fever and all of this can get wiped out but this is my time under the sun and he continues the story i meet his father an absolute gentleman he makes us coffee and uh, at some point two hours later myself and dilip get out of the house we get into the car we hit the cul-de-sac i look back at the house my aesthetic condescension has disappeared the house looks beautiful sunrise orange is absolutely stunning as a color for a home now i'm sure all of us have gone through many of these kind of powerful transformational stories as part of listing people and so on but this story on the face of it look like one of the thousands of stories that we go through when we go to homes random homes across the country or across the world as well but what struck us was that in this story there was every single vector of brand strategy or corporate strategy 
consumer-driven corporate strategy, which is that you have an idea of who the customer is. Of course, I told it in five to seven minutes of story. It was a two-hour conversation. You have an idea of who the customer is. You have the idea of his hopes, dreams, desires, fears, anxieties, aspirations. You know how he relates to home, his past home and his current home. You know why the home has turned out the way it has turned out. You have an understanding of the decor of the home, which I kind of had, was looking at a mildly belittlingly at the start, which kind of, I stood humbled at the end of that conversation. You have an idea of how he relates to color and therefore why he's put sunrise orange. You have virtually an idea of every single aspect of the source category, the actual category in which the, the, the client sits, the reasons for buying into the paint, a certain kind of color. And therefore, even what kind of retail spaces you should make for him, which, which don't go through the fear of invalidation and disrespect and kind of protective self-esteem. Now, when he went through the story, we thought, wow, all of our work is just this. You go into 100 homes, collect 100 stories, parse these 100 stories into five unique sets, and that's segmentation. And for each of the sets, you know exactly what's the motivating argument, what's the differentiating argument, and what kind of marketing mix action you should do to make the brand relevant. Starting from Shaiju and along with a few other clients and the stories that we kind of got exposed as part of those journeys, virtually all of Central Gravity's work today is essentially walking to homes, listening to stories for two hours, coming back, passing, them into, passing those entire stories into five or six blocks, and running the entire brand strategy project and differentiation project just through that window. And of course, there's another aspect of actually telling the brand story also. Eventually, these two stories have to meet. But that's the magic of the work. And, uh, and when you look at it, there's nothing but stories actually at the end of it. And Shaiju, I mean, Sana's story is a powerful, Sana's story is a powerful example of that. And just one of the stories, of course, I'm kind of talking about. But yeah, Castro is understood. No, story. no, 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 Rajesh. I think, I think it's right. What you're saying is, it's very interesting that you're listening to brand stories, etc. But uh, when did you first realize? So I know, I know we go a long way back, but earlier there were, if I remember you, there were um, theories in place, there were constructs in place, there were frameworks in place. And somewhere along the line, you've taken those frameworks and you've integrated them into stories or you've thrown them out and you've brought in stories. How has this transformation turned from frameworks of brand strategy or pillars of brand strategy to stories that help you distinguish or let's say write brand strategy? It's a powerful question to ask because I wonder what paths led us to this place. But uh, I'm sure there are small, small events that have happened in all our lives. I'm sure in a strange way, you have also been a part of our journey into storytelling, <laughs> uh, the, the, the work that we did together for uh, ACC at that point in time, and you had yeah. kind of captured the, the horrible experiences that customers go through in construction through uh, the beautiful story of Albert Pinto of And the solution to that is uh, Dr. Kotniski Amarkani. I'm sure that is a part of uh, getting into this journey. Uh, but when we started Center of Gravity, one of the things that happened was uh, we got a project from Castrol. And uh, we used to work with this brilliant, absolutely brilliant human being and uh, researcher called uh, Jesse. Uh, we were sitting in, a, in, a, in the Ogilvy office in Bombay and the client was there. And uh, they gave us a brief thing that we want to find out a strategy for Castrol to increase loyalists or something like that purchase process kind of stuff. Uh, we walked out and uh, I remember Jesse telling us, let's not study the category at all. How does it matter? Let's study the trucker. Let's understand who the trucker is, what his life is. And she told it in a manner of speaking, but in those days, because he just started off and we still do that, luckily, we thought, yeah, let's not tell the client. Let's quietly do a study of the life of the trucker. We'll also, of course, we'll study the category. So for the next couple of months, we went across Namakkal, Karur, Dendigal, Ludhiana, whatever, Lucknow. We sat in trucks and traveled with truck drivers from Bangalore to Sira, saying, I just want to understand who this person is. We spoke to uh, people, a guy called Jason, who's a documentary filmmaker on the life of uh, Indian truckers. We watched uh, a movie called Uski Roti by Mani Paul. So we went on this magical journey of understanding who the trucker is and what, life, what kind of life does that person lead? And uh, the story is brilliant because the trucker story is true of the story of many blue-collared people who essentially are migrants who, when the age of when they're about 14, 15, they run away from home. So essentially, the guy gets into some dysfunctional behavior in a, in a village or a small town. He steals the money from his father's pockets. Papa do laugh He comes to the city. 
once he comes to the city it is horror show again because he's got displaced from his idyllic settings and is in this bombay or calcutta or bangalore one of those cities he goes and works works in some mandi he gets rogered people abuse him he doesn't get money on time whatever he goes through all of the hell very often they may also go back to the village and uh, again something happens after two years again run come uh, come back and i mean run away and come back to the city and this time they run away for good then the journey starts they work in a mandi a trucker comes there he tells the fellow to kya dar mar raha hai mere sath kari chal kari ekdam saaf sutra jagah hai to the raja and the guy sits in that uh, truck and lands up in a mandi in bidhi or ramnagaram and again it's horrible work you're carrying i mean it's kari work it's uh, you get the scraps many of them have got scars in the back and face they struggle through that work for about 2 years when another lorry driver or truck driver comes and tells tu kari pe kya mar raha hai mere sath cleaner ban ja pura duniya ghumenge so he sits in that lorry and he starts becoming a cleaner and they have a good time roaming around the country they do the interesting things they do the good things they do the dangerous things all of that happens after 3 such years one day somebody tells him tu kya iske sath kaam kar raha hai shri ram finance se loan le 50000 ek second hand third third hand wala truck milega us pe tu chala apni zindagi so he buys a truck for 80000 one lakh some really a, a broken down truck and out of 100 people who buy such trucks if luck has its way 10 of them survive they they escape accidents they escape contraband carrying contraband getting stuck with the police they escape major repairs they escape robbery on highways 10 of them survive and after 5 years if they are lucky or 3 years they are lucky they buy the second truck and after 3 years they buy the third truck 15 years after his run away from home he becomes a trucker and by the time he's done this journey we are just about starting many of us are starting our careers he has done this journey it's a powerful life journey but at the end of that life journey He, the 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 narrative around the trucker is hiv aids trucking strike accidents it's a classic imagery of prem chopra drinking a bottle of vat 69 and telling his henchman hero ki family ko uda do and the trucker does a job that's imagery right it's horrible but that's imagery but when you meet the truckers 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 people are decent human beings very very decent human beings the moment they get the money they pay off the garages so how can a brand who is selling lubricants or tires or truck finance or what are the hell they are selling not know of the story what is the meaning of liquid engineering i mean who understands what is liquid engineering even now i don't know i don't what is i don't what is the meaning of liquid engineering nobody make, can make sense of that but if if i want the trucker to be a part of my world and if i acknowledge this life story as the story of a hero and that the residual elitist world has robbed this identity from him by calling him an hiv aids carrier and an accident creator and a strike creator and all kinds of stuff right if you are able to restore his stolen identity back as a brand what better brand position than that what a better way to command loyalty than to tell that our lubricant lubricates a piston and i mean who cares nobody knows all that how will a trucker know all that i'm sure even people within the company don't know what what exactly the oil does inside of course it's supposed to do its job so along with things like i told about uh, acc i'm sure a lot of personal experiences happened around that time castrol uh, san story all of this took us down the path of saying that there is all that there is in stories collection of stories listening to stories and then narrating back a single story from the brand back to the consumer and if this is done it's very simple there's no complication of frameworks and complicated terms uh, i mean any you can put any damn suffix or prefix to brand and that's a term that you can find in most of the brand books but at the heart of it this is all there is to it like i told about castrol like i told about san story in the case of asian paints and if a brand really related to human beings through the story i mean the the way in which you engage the trucker would be very very different you would not engage him through uh, i mean and and most truckers know this that once they start to become successful brands are like leeches they land up at the doorstep wanting their business and the moment they turn their face away they think sala harami log hai sala hiv hai uska aids hoga so it is fairly poignant when you go and meet these people and most importantly forget brand strategy and all this work you go and meet these people you stand emotionally displaced from where you are like when you met san and he walked out of the house you start to respect him you start to feel humbled by your own belittling thought that you had in your mind about his aesthetics you meet a trucker you you reframe your world view of who that person rajesh rajesh sorry so sorry to interrupt you're right Okay, these are powerful stories. These are extremely, extremely powerful stories. There's no question about that. Brands need to know them, which is also I would give you a lot. 
but how does one use them see it's very it's 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 these are great stories there's no doubt about it and i worked with you on the acc cement story these are absolute stories i think in acc we managed to create two things is that what is the problem story and what is the solution story that brought around a lot of change but how have you seen it work in in the work that you've done hmm. See, I think one one important aspect of knowing consumer stories, or again, I don't want to call it consumers because it's not consumer or research; it's human beings. One important part of knowing the story is that the company or the client's relationship with their customers change. That's at the heart of it, right? Otherwise, you 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 have this fragmentation of consciousness. You are a, a seller of something to a person who you don't meet, you don't believe in. and they have this complicated research reports with uh, random values and personalities and pillars there's no connection between what you do and who you sell it to and why you sell it to the moment you listen to a life story like sans life story or the trucker's life story you can't you can't avoid the responsibility that comes from knowing that story you can't pretend like it's a consumer you can't distance yourself from that so one of the most important thing that stories does is to change people internally like if i told 10 stories like sans story within asian paints asian paints relationship with the consumer changes once and forever we say if i told it in the form of a research report and bullet points nobody knows who that person is it is 25 to 35 some age group uh, modern young traditional contemporary whatever godness whatever i mean there are a whole lot of words that go around there is no relationship so the first job of story is to change the way companies relate to their consumers and therefore whatever then that comes from that understanding will be kind of filtered through that lens that's one part of it the second part of it is in the design of products and services for example if i am thinking of san as a person with a outlandish or a garish taste because i'm not gone and met him i looked down upon that and i'll think that iske liye thoda latest wala color de do we say we celebration range i would create a celebration range this is the guy who is celebrating his life this is the guy he is a black guy in harlem who puts gold uh, hubcaps and he, he may put a purple uh, robe and walk around they are celebrating their life so the way in which you change your view of the customer and therefore if you design a products and services can change the content can change now which is increasingly moving from broadcasted uh, 40000 feet advertising to regular conversations with customers on on uh, on platforms and properties so everything changes actually uh, and then the company itself becomes different after a while but if it's not that and all you do is to actually engage with the customers through gender age psychographics complicated terms like contented conservative traditional modernist i mean all kinds of names are there right you don't know really what they mean actually we say we san castrol uh, this trucker that trucker so it does a huge job of internal attitudinal change to consumers internal design of products and services and in the content and communication that you put out regularly and therefore build strong relationships with uh, relationships with brands i mean at some point in time we had done a, a documentary film called in search of indigo this was a 2 3 years back we were part of a team that did it let me hold you there rajesh just let me hold you there i have i have shown rajesh jain my co-host uh that documentary and before you tell that story rajesh would you like to no no sorry not the talai was rajesh jain uh, would you like to uh, ask or think through what is what is in your mind when you saw that uh, indigo and before talai was tells a story i think what comes out jamet uh, is essentially people at the center <clears throat> i was watching it again today in preparation for this and i was playing it at uh, lunch time on the table and my wife was sitting while we were having uh, lunch i normally read something the first time she saw me playing <laughs> a video and she says this is amazing what is this you know because the way the words were flowing the way the imagery was coming out okay and it's all about people and i think what rajesh is basically saying is that you know uh, if you fall in love with your customers and i've been just thinking about this as as he's been saying it that the indigo story really is you know, we never thought about indigo as the color or anything and i started thinking you know that there's there's a back story to so many objects or things around us 
Beautiful. And there are people behind them, and we have no clue. Beautiful. And th- th- I mean, I'd never seen a story like this. Of course, we watch the regular hero's journey or whatever on TV, but to take something like Indigo and talk about that is is just was just amazing. And I watched it for the second time today, I mean, the first time, but it again came back. The same emotion sort of came back again today, Rajesh. Very present. You now you can explain the good, Indigo story. So beautifully expressed, Rajesh, and it's amazing that by seeing the movie, you've gone back behind the scenes to know what might have happened there. But it's beautiful. I mean, the backstory is this: uh, Asian Paints is a paint brand on the face of it. Not now, but many years back. Uh, paint is what pigment, resin, binders. Nobody really cares to who's got it. The fact of paint that you can start to care about is color for sure. So therefore, Asian Paints moves into becoming a color brand. Now, how do you own the space of colors? Yeah, Pantone owns the space of colors, right? But that's a very technical, RGB, science-based engagement with colors. How do you emotionally own the space of colors? Because Asian Paints is an emotional brand. Not to mention that we are Indians and we get emotional about everything. Our our uh, anger is a little more extra. Our sadness is a little more extra. Our tears are a little more than what normally happens. So. We are emotional people. So how does Asian Paints capture the emotional space of color? And so 2012, thereabouts, we started, I mean, they're already done a lot of work on colors, but one of the things that, and they are actually brilliant in kind of creating this absolutely blue sky kind of projects. They told, okay, how do we kind of uh, become strongly associated with colors? And one of the properties that we thought we should do is color journeys. So for about a couple of years, Asian Paints used to send out photographers, and its own designers into the field. And they used to go to geographies like Varkala and capture the colors of Varkala. And from there abstract out mood palettes, which you can then use in the context of home and so on, or kind of capture some arts like Kanta work or whatever, or Rajrak work and uh, Atankudi tales, whatever. Abstract out colors from the world of arts, crafts and geography. Uh, sorry, sorry, seriously? It's not some guy sitting and saying, and I got a color no, no, no. Card. it doesn't work like that no actually the, I mean it's, it's interesting that you ask that that there is a Fantex shade card with 1800 shades and many people use that to actually uh, decide what they want for their homes but a, a brand like Asian Paints can't sell colors through the shade card because it's a very commoditized view of colors you have to put colors in a context and what's the context? A context can be colors inspired by India and how that can find its way into your home because you feel strongly about India. Uh, colors of Kerala, colors of, uh, uh, of uh, beach uh, that evokes a certain feeling, colors of the mountains. So you can obviously put together palettes based on inspirations, clearly. And so uh, one option is to just sit on Google, check up a whole lot of pictures and from those pictures you can abstract out more palettes. The other option is to actually go on a journey of finding, discovering colors. So when the photographer and the designer go on a journey, travel across, get inspired by those moments and those visuals and those moods and those stories, and then create mood palettes, it's beautiful because it's authentic. It's not, it's not sterile. So uh, they did it for a couple of years on arts and crafts and geography. And 2014 or 15 thereabouts, I think, if I remember right, it was, it was kind of doing well, but not as well as we wanted it to be. And so. Uh, we, I mean, Center of Gravity, I think one of us from COG kind of uh, met up the, the guy who used to head this division and told, I think the issue is that you're chasing arts and crafts and geography, but your story is color. Why don't you chase color? Let's chase color. Let's chase matter red. Let's chase indigo. Let's chase fuchsia pink. Let's chase honeysuckle green. God knows what. Let's chase colors. So how do you chase colors? You go and chase it right from its source. So where was Indigo born? Where was Madder Red born? In which culture? Maybe it was born in the Nile uh, Valley where um, somebody with their white clothes is standing next to a swollen river and uh, there was an indigo plant and the plant was growing and the plant got kind of jammed into his leg and slowly found out that the green had turned to blue. Maybe that, maybe the Indus Valley civilization created indigo through Ajrak. We don't know how, but we told let's go and chase color across civilizations and time periods. And as we started to go on the journey, we found a magical story. And this is how, what you told Rajesh, that the people bend the color. How do you humanize the color? How do you bring emotion to color? Because that's what you want to stand for as against the world of pantones. You told, as we started to go and meet artisans and artists and craftsmen around the world of Indigo, 
of the hundreds of stories and there are hundreds of stories about indigo we just took one story and made that 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 film and we are a part of making of that film the story that we picked up was that indigo seems to be a plant right indigo for a tinctoria so it's a it's a plant like any green shrub that you see around randomly on the side of a forest you take the leaves and then you kind of do a certain set of processes and through a process of oxidation and reduction when you actually make the dye in a vat you put a white cloth into the dye it's green and yellowish green in color you take it in a hand and then you wave it in the wind like this and it becomes blue it's magic it's alchemy now it looks alchemy but the process of making that vat and taking care of the vat is absolutely uh, breathtakingly difficult you have to be deeply honest to do that vat because if you're not honest you the vat will not treat you back well so many of these artists treat the vat like they treat a baby in the morning they get up and they gently shake the vat and wake it up you can't be rough with it if you just put a, a stick and stir it up you will not get the color that you want there are people in avani who kind of wrap up that vat with a blanket it's worse you treat it like a baby if you abuse it if you're casual with it if you don't engage with it with depth and mindfulness it will not give you indigo it will tell go to hell no indigo for today so we don't wow and these guys have taken 5 years sometimes 6 years sometimes 2 years to come to this idea of how to create the right vat which will kind of give me the right shade of indigo so what a powerful story i mean if if i knew of the story i would buy indigo and put it in my house on a wall because there's something suddenly you attached value and meaning to the story it's not a color on a shade card from among 1800 colors and every color has a story like this and this is one of the stories i mean what if you told i mean this story is not there what if you told the story of people in the deserts of kutch or in even the tuareg tribes in west africa they put indigo colored stuff and walk out i always to wonder isn't this so dark that you will kind of sweat and the story is not that the story is this if you wear black in the desert it's very difficult because obviously it's bizarrely hot if you wear white in the desert if you get lost people never find you and people do get lost like the azrak craftsman in damadka tellers disha brahm ho jata hai jab aap registration mein jate ho after all you don't know where the hell you are so you can't put black you can't put white which color can you spot from a distance of course something which is darker so blue now indigo the natural indigo which is made not artificial indigo synthetic indigo the natural indigo has got a waxy property which is that if you if you dye a, a piece of garment of indigo because it's got a waxy property during the winter it coagulates just that little bit and makes you feel warmer and during the summer it just kind of allows a little bit of air to come through because it opens up a little bit and therefore indigo is put natural dyed indigo dark as it looks is put but it does a brilliant job of air conditioning a body while also ensuring that you don't get lost in the desert and things like that and they tell indigos asmani sultani kya hai asmani sultani asmani sultani mane like how the rains and the the mood of a king can never be judged the indigo color in a vat can never be predicted anything can happen aa sakta hai aa bhi nahi sakta hai so there are hundreds of stories about indigo where do you start and where do you stop and what if you told all the stories what will happen to asian paints the brand how will they relate to color how will customers relate to asian paints and their idea of color if you did this i mean how beautiful the work i mean just you can just go on endless journeys find the stories tell the stories go i mean this is an endless journey and then madder red and then god knows how many colors we have white itself is a color white is not a color white is a design and kenya hara the design director of muji tells as to why white is not a color it's a design it sets up everything so you can't look at white as a color so it's it's an endless journey actually it's magical when brands kind of go down this path so radesh actually you're telling stories but to tell the stories you've got to fall in love with the people behind the stories now that is something actually when you are even when you are saying i mean none of us actually do it we all have customers but how many of us actually other than the obligatory sort of okay i've got to talk to a few customers none of us go and meet customers in their setting in their homes uh, what prevents us from doing that i mean i part of the reason is that i i think many of us are not exposed to the magic that comes from meeting human beings in their settings and having honest conversations with them we have the small experience right when you sit in a train and we meet somebody fascinating and we think wow we watch movies and we're kind of enthralled by it we listen to random stories on youtube and we're enthralled by it we don't allow ourselves the privilege and the opportunity to meet people open yourself out to them because only when you open yourself out to them they open back in return so very often when you go into into homes 
you tell all our stories first. It may take 15 minutes, but you tell it patiently. And then to put yourself in a place where you are not trying to control anything, because the moment you try to control a condition, the condition is dead. But we go into homes with research agendas. When ICS if you had to ask all these questions, if you don't ask all these questions, you're screwed. But nothing, nothing is required. You just go and start listening. And somehow they talk about everything. We never had a situation where we walk into a home and people are not talked about what you want. Very often they may kind of meander around and talk all kinds of random things for one hour and until Bangalore I mean, we are not in start talking about you. Then they start talk for two more hours. So our ability to open ourselves out and then get the returns of they opening their lives out to you, our ability to listen not as research but as conversation, our ability to not have the, the control that we all want to have in a do research, our ability to let go of our own status of that of being a consultant or a strategist or a client or a CEO. When you drop all of this and we're willing to meander around and let ambiguity take over, very often the, the, the chance of magic happening is tremendously high. The, the, the magic of chance findings versus planned findings. Planned findings is what, what you already know. Chance findings is powerful, but you have to live through the stress of it to reach that. Because you don't know what's going to happen after you ask a question. They may go in any direction. And if you're regularly thinking in the back of your head saying, shit, I have to ask about this, I have to ask about that. I don't understand why he's bought this product. It will never work. You just set the context and tell, can you take a tour of your home? Everything from paint, color, fabric, furnishing, tiling, he'll talk about everything or she'll talk about everything. No questions about it. But if you're constantly having a narrative at the back of your head saying, I need to ask this, I need to ask this, I need to show I'm a researcher, I need to kind of come. That's like really, I mean, that, that's, not, uh, that's not honoring the integrity of a conversation. Therefore, people don't open up. But if people went and did three or four of them, it's addictive, actually. We go into homes, and after you have a powerful conversation, and it does not happen once, when you come out, we are not able to conduct the next interview because sometimes you're exhausted. Sometimes you're deeply kind of affected. And then you think, how do you conduct the next interview now? It's like going to a film festival, right? You walk into the morning, you see a powerful film. You can't watch the next film just like that because you're kind of mentally displaced, you're emotionally displaced. So I think we have to grant ourselves the... The, the magic of walking to the homes and uh, letting go of all of the status and control and agendas and uh, whatever. And then magic happens almost always. I mean, we never had a situation where it does not happen, be it Indigo or uh, Sun or Castrol or whatever that is. This is this is half the part. Listening to the stories and getting the hundred stories the magic really is the connections between the stories, the common threads. And that's where you come in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Rajesh, this is the most difficult part. But to find, so when I used to work with Thalaivar, you know, he used to often tell you to find common stories, you have to find common threads. If you look at differences, there are hundreds. When you look at commonalities, you understand the stories speak to you. Sorry, Rajesh, Thalaivar, I'm taking away some of that. But I, it, it is powerful, Rajesh, what, what, what you've asked. It is, it is not easy if you go in hunt of it, like the table. <laughs> but if you treat it like a baby, it suddenly comes to you. I don't know. Sorry, Talewa, please explain. Both, both, both of these conditions are beautiful. I'm just struck by the kind of questions Rajesh is asking as well. Uh, you, you know, Rajesh, we try to launch an online school. And one of the most difficult courses to run is how to do synthesis. I mean, you can get all the stories, you can do the analysis, but pulling a singular narrative from there, which makes sense to the brand is arguably the toughest job, which is why this takes seven, eight, nine years to kind of do, do a reasonable job of. And we sometimes we don't, when you're trying to do the course, we don't even know how to kind of deconstruct what we do in our heads. So it's a very powerful condition. And I think Jamie in telling, bringing back the blanket and the baby story has touched upon some part of that solution, which is that the idea of synthesis is a creative process. It's not an analytical process alone, which is that you fill your heart with all these inputs. And it's not filling it as in bullet points. It is there because you have marinated yourself in these journeys. So it's not filling yourself as in ABCD points kind of a thing. Of course, we do all of that and write it on the board and all, all this stuff. But the fact is that if you have actually gone through the journeys and engaged with every conversation like it meant the life to you, not in a, in a manner of being sounding cool, but because we always feel like when people allow us into their homes and tell their story, it's the deepest act of privilege. 
nobody has to tell it to us why do they tell it to us so if you don't honor it and kind of really treat every second of it with the sacredness that it deserves if you don't do that then we lose the analysis part of it what are the random points that we can kind of mathematically put out by comparing content analysis sheets so let's it's assume almost, that we did it. it's almost just to uh, chip in here radesh it's almost like the vat which you said the indigo vat absolutely you don't respect if you have not been through it yourself that really doesn't tell you I, i i'm just telling it i mean it's, it's important that both you and jamit mention that we tell very clearly within our offices and also within the clients offices that we are in when we are in front of a customer and i'm telling this on camera right we don't care two hoots about the client i mean all our clients can listen to it we don't care two hoots about our client we're not stuck with their story eh? somebody's allowed into your home you respect that situation you listen to whatever the hell they want to tell don't get your paint and your ulip policies into it yeah he'll talk he'll talk about it or she'll talk about it at the right time you don't go and kind of vandalize that the preciousness of that moment now let's assume that you've gone through it you've got all of the data in your head now the process of this and this is where the creative process starts up which is that you have all of that sitting in your head and how do you kind of have a conversation between induction and deduction which is that you're not just analyzing you're also throwing out thoughts into it and the thoughts are not wrong provided you marinate it yourself well because the brain the right brain unlike the left brain is doing a magical job of crushing all of this together i mean thomas blakesley wrote this beautiful book called the the right brain in which it talks about how two kids are sitting in a classroom one is brilliant at algebra the other one is absolute duffer at that a few minutes later they go into a ground and uh, somebody hits wax the ball the guy who's a duffer in algebra actually kind of makes a run and he goes and catches the ball and blakesley talks about how in that short moment he has decided the project the the angle at which the ball has been hit the wind speed the speed at which he needs to run the the time at which he has to open his hand or lunge forward and catch it it's a complex god knows what what equation it is algebraic plus various other equations involved but the right brain does all of this and to trust the right brain and to give yourself the freedom to tell out hypothesis which when it meets all the data of analysis sitting in your head suddenly something clicks and then it some more kind of it, it is aha moment where everything makes sense it comes some more kind of stitches every single part of all the 100 interviews that i had a condition with and many things from your past life as well your own personal experiences something that you met somebody that you met 5 years back 10 years back so the two key parts of the process one is to honor the customer and marinate yourself so deeply in the discussion that they sit within you not as bullet points and then to give yourself the freedom and the latitude to tell out tell out possibilities which are solutions and solutions not for the client but for the customer because eventually the client will learn from that when you do this conversation regularly in your head and you throw out those things suddenly something works powerfully but it still requires a rigor rigor of putting it down on board and post it and i'm sure you can see some of this behind me it it still requires all of that but everything is happening in your head and it's beautiful when it comes together you know that after all i tell i mean i just talking to zoya the the luxury brand of tanishka a few days back and she was, uh, the client was asking me questions and i told you can ask me any question i'll have an answer not because i prepared for it but because i believe deeply in it you can ask me any question i don't have to prepare for it because i spend time going over this endlessly and things questions to which i don't have answers i'll find the answers because i believe in it and the belief comes from marination and this conversation between that marination and hypothesis for which you need to give yourself the freedom and the latitude to kind of throw it out and see how it works and the intersection of it is magic always so you know what uh, salaim um, i've also struggled to explain this beautiful moment when it all comes together and i've also struggled many times when working with researchers to understand ki kya hai kya what am i looking for and what is it that should fill your heart with and hence what will your brain process with and i've struggled for that word and i've struggled for that description the only thing that comes to my mind and somewhere it has worked and it has to be poetic is a hindi word called dard dard yeah dard kya tumhare paas dard hai can you feel in your heart the pain or the or dard is not just pain it's just that feeling that deep empathy that you have and if you have that dard then you're able to keep it and resonate with the client i mean with the consumer with the user with the human being is then you will solve the problem Absolutely. and <laughs> and you are actually you know what you are the patch adam school of brand brand strategy 
So Patch Adams said, if you treat a disease, you win, you lose. But if you treat a patient, you always win. No matter what the outcome. Absolutely. No matter what the outcome. <laughs> I mean, that then the second thing uh, uh, connected to both what Rajesh asked and you're asking is the need to make it personal. You don't other the brand strategy. You don't other the customer. Make it personal. I mean, recently... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Recently, two years back, we decided to go and shoot a film in London, a documentary film on the tailors, the bespoke tailors of London. Uh, it's a street called Savile Row, where there are a set of tailoring houses, legendary houses that stitch up bespoke suits for the who's who in the world, the top 0.001% of the world. I mean, you have the Beatles and the and Gregory Peck and Obama and God knows who, Churchill and whatever, the Maharajas of India and so on. I remember we landed up in London and uh, we walked into this first house. They gave us only half an hour to, to kind of uh, do the filming. And it's absolutely it's blizzard. It's a snowstorm in London in December. And we walk into this uh, tailoring house and this guy, the, the owner comes out and tells, so what's this film that is shooting? And we've gone there with equipments, right? The film may not happen if he tells no. Like a few of them tell no, then we're back. So what's this film all about? So I told him, uh, this is about the human side of luxury. And what is that? Uh, where are the mood boards? What are, you, what are you planning to do? How are you going to set it up? So you're kind of starting to be a little uh, impatient about what you're going to do. So I told him, let me tell you a story. If you, at the end of the story, if you, if you feel powerful about it, you allow us to shoot. If not, it's fine. And I told, can you believe this in London, in the apex of luxury, it's virtually the mecca of luxury, in the cold gray London winter morning, to this guy who was standing at outside the, the door, virtually at the gate of that house, and asking us, so what is this film all about? With a smile frown on his face. I told him the story of my mother making idlis. I told him that four years back, I decided to kind of learn cooking because I felt like cooking would impact brand strategy because you become more sensitive. Because in cooking, you can't screw around. It's not like a word, a word, it's an HL type. Cooking, you have, to be, you have to be sensitive. So I told her, at least let me start that process. So I went and sat with my mother for 15, 20 days. And every day, she used to teach me something. One evening, I was kind of looking at her. And she's got, she's about 70. She's got horrible arthritis. So morning when she gets up, she takes about 5 to 10 minutes to open out her fingers almost at that level. And the grinder was kind of going around and there's a floor, the idli carta was going around the grinder. And I noticed that she had kept two bowls and as the, the floor got kind of sufficiently made at the right level of consistency and, and smoothness, she started to take out the floor from the, 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 the rotating grinder and start to kind of uh, jerk it out into the, into the two bowls with a kind of a motion which was almost like this. She was just kind of taking it and throwing it out into the two bowls. So I was watching it for a while and I told, why don't you kind of chill out a little bit as it is your bones are in fairly serious condition. So you need to kind of calm down a little bit. So she told me this bizarre story. I don't know if it's true or not. She told me the story of, you know, the urad and the rice are at different levels of consistency. So if you don't take it out from underneath in a, in a strong movement and put it into both the, both the bowls in equal, equal measure, you will have a soft idli, an unnecessarily soft idli on one day and an unnecessarily hard, toughened up idli on another day. So I thought, but from where the hell did she think? Figure so I figured out that the reason why our idlis never ever go out of that level of standard deviation on smoothness and beauty. I mean, she calls it as poopole rikinim. It should be like a flower. So I thought, this is madness, right? This is lunacy. It's not normal that at, when your fingers are falling off, you're willing to go through that pain to get idli exactly the way you're supposed to be. So this is deep mindfulness, love, and attention to everything. So I told Dre, in my mind, Savile Row, unlike the hedonistic brands, is about this attention to detail, this mindfulness, this love for what you do. He allowed us into the, into the showroom, uh, into the house, and we shot for one and a half hours that day. But what has Italy got to do with luxury bespoke shootings in London? Everything, but it's personalized. I'm personalizing, telling a story, which I am deeply affected by and committed to. But we don't tell personal things at work. We almost think like, uh, how can you talk about the stories at work? We can't cry at work. We can't laugh grandis, uh, grandly at work. We can't fumble when you're talking. We can't do anything, actually, in many places. And when you do all of this, actually, everything looks far more beautiful than <laughs> the other world, which is fairly oppressive, inert, sterile, uh, stuck up, rigid. I don't know what, I mean, they kind of 
that's a different language altogether. The world of the movie of American Psycho and <laughs> Christine Bale's portrayal of. Let me hold you before you diss more people. <laughs> Let me just hold you there. Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, but there's one little story. I know. I mean, speaking to you, two hours sometimes feels less. But before we go, I want to quickly catch one story because that very clearly articulates that not just it can solve a brand problem, it can solve a product problem, it can solve a product be introduced and it can create a new is the wall art Asian paints one. And if you can talk about that story. So this again, uh, sometime back, uh, Asian Paints was launching exterior decor. Uh, and there's nothing like exterior decor in the country. I mean, you have textures on walls that you see, the rough textures that you find on walls. If you go to pretty much any architect designed home, you'll find wood and metal and glass uh, gratuitously on walls, especially in the northern part of the country. Uh, so there's nothing like decor, as in you can't find design and patterns on walls. You can find color on walls, you can find textures, the rough textures on walls. So how do you create a category that doesn't exist in the country? Like if you go to some parts of the world, uh, you find like in Oakland, if you go, you find this beautiful murals on the walls outside. So either you have the mural kind of thing, which you don't find a lot of it in our country, or you find textures and uh, these materials. So how do you design, how do you kind of create designs for exterior walls? What's the question? And if you go to customers, because they've never been really exposed to it, they can't talk about it. And of course, we went with some ideas and kind of showed them those options. But how do you come to those ideas in the first place? What's the question? So we did met a whole lot of people across the country. And at some point, we told, OK, they can't really articulate this. Now, how do you kind of come to a set of ideas which you can then throw it back to them? And uh, what happened was, again, like this process of uh, dirt, you get stuck. You don't know what to do. You go into a meeting. You don't know. You, you can't find a headway for the next stage of the work. You do all of this, you come back. And I remember uh, uh, Asian Paints has a decor custodian called Pavitra Rajaraman. We had a really uh, fiery meeting where she was kind of, kind of really going after saying, but what is this? This is not a design brief, this is random stuff and so on. So we went back to the drawing boards and then uh, out of the blue, we thought, actually, uh, if you look at it, paint for a home, it's like garment for the body. You drape around it, right? It's like you drape a house with paint and colors. Similarly, you drape your body with a, a sari or a, a kurta, whatever you have it. And like a dress or a sari or a, or a salwar kameez or whatever, uh, we can have borders. So can a wall and a compound wall have borders. Like there can be a buta, a kind of a print. There can be a dead wall with a print in it. So let's look at those metaphors and the power of metaphors and actually opening out thinking is very, very, it's, a, it's, a, it's an entire area by itself. So let's study handicrafts. So we land up in Kutch. And in Kutch, Kutch is of course rich with all kinds of things, but among its various things that it has given to the world, handicrafts is one of them. So there are these communities like Ahir, Drabari, Muthwa, Jat Garasya, Jat Fakira, Jat Hajiana, Jat Daneta, uh, Soda Jadeja, Rajputs. All of them have embroidery forms their own unique embroideries, which have been marinated through their, their entire history of that, that tribe and their journey from various parts of the world into Kutch and so on and so forth. So we start to study those embroidery patterns. And of course, embroideries have butas and the main prints, uh, design themes, which are obviously drawn from their world. So you study that. Then you land up in, in places which have exterior decor. What are they? Temples, forts. So you land up in Belur and Halebudu. And then you listen to all the stories of Belur and Halebudu. Then you tell, okay, let's keep searching. And then out of the blue, somebody tells, where do you go to this temple in, in uh, very close to Halibudu, 50 kilometers called Belavadi. So we land up in Belavadi, absolutely empty, brilliant temple, quiet, not one single human being there, not as intricately ornate like Belur and Halibudu, but far more grander and more ancient, if you can call it that, all built during the same period. So you walk into this temple, it's absolutely empty. You can smell bat shit almost. And it's beautiful because it's got the smell of ancientness. You walk in and you walk through, you can hear only your voice in the footsteps. You walk up to the sanctum sanctum. There's just one uh, lamp 
burning at the end. So you're virtually drawn towards that light, right? Like all of us are drawn towards lights. So we kind of walk to it to the end. And then a young guy walks out in, uh, in uh, Pujari's uh, attire. Very young, must be 28, 29. So he asks us, who are you? And we tell him that uh, we're doing this uh, study to figure out exterior decor. And you can imagine, right? You're walking to a temple and telling, I want to, I want to figure out what designs to do for something, for somebody. So he starts talking to us and at some point he, we ask him about the design of the temple. And it is, you know, the temple has got seven doors, which is seven states of mind, the seven chakras, right? Starting from the, I mean, the Muladhara, the Swadishtana, the Anahita, right up to the Ajna chakra. The seven chakras in the body, because in the olden days, people who designed the temples were uh, the Vishwakarmas and the Vishwakarmas organize the temple around the human chakra. So if you see a temple, it's virtually like a human being sleeping where the Dvajastamba virtually pretty, come pretty close to the phallic area and the Ajna chakra comes very close to the sanctum sanctorum. So you virtually design the temple around the human body and the human energy centers, which are the chakras. So he was telling that every time you kind of cross a door, you're dropping off one state of your ego. And by the time you reach the seventh place, which is the sanctum sanctorum, you are ready for communion with God. So I just kind of to provoke him to lie, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not a believer in God. He told, no, it doesn't matter. Whatever your God is, your God may be a work. It may be something else. It doesn't matter what your God is, but it is a state of going through these things. And in the middle of the condition, he dropped in the idea of you have to cross seven thresholds, six thresholds to arrive at the seventh door. So we asked him, what is threshold, which is called Huslu in Canada. He talks about how threshold is the space, the interface between one state of mind and another state of mind, the edge, which Joseph Campbell again talks about in all his works in, uh, in anthropology. It's the interface between the known and the unknown. So he talks about threshold and how threshold is a very powerful thing in Indian culture. The entire, uh, the slaying of the Hiranyakashipu, I mean, I'm sure we all know that stories, but the power of the threshold is a very important one and how threshold is absolutely central. I mean, all of life is lived at the thresholds. The rest is just existence before we reach another threshold for growth. So he talks to us about this and we then start to think, hang on, this is not exterior decor. This is about understanding the soul of the threshold and figuring out whether you can pull out design from there. And then when you look at threshold, you've got beautiful design symbologies. You've got Rangoli in India, which is at the thresholds, right? The Rangoli is a column. It is a Muggu in Andhra Pradesh. It's Alpana or Aripana in Bengal and Orissa. It is Kalamirtis. is not exactly Kolam, but anyway, let's keep it for the time being. The Navajo tribes actually have the equivalent of Kolam. So it's, it's multicultural, it kind of transcends. So we thought of visual symbols which capture the soul of a threshold. So Rangoli is about invitation, warding off the evil spirits, whatever. So Kolam, Purna Kumbakalash, Mango, uh, Pineapple in Western culture. So we told there's a rich world of symbology around threshold. Let's use that as design inspirations because then you'll embed the design of meaning and stories. And from there, start the journey of creating extra designs, which are based on the stories of threshold because at the thresholds, it's welcoming. Lakshmi Garajati hai. Daridra Lakshmi, which is the goddess of ill wealth is chased out and Bhagi Lakshmi comes in in our culture. I'm sure there's the equivalent of that in every culture. There is uh, prosperity at the threshold, which is why you find the Purna Kumbha Kalash or mango leaves. There is uh, protection at the threshold, which is why when you reach forts like the Chitraduga Fort or the Kantkot Fort in Ahmedabad and in Gujarat or in Red Fort. At the, at the threshold, you see this grandness, which is about hardcore protection and home needs protection. And how do you design for protection? So you took out five or six emotions, the threshold told, can you find the symbols around it and use the symbols to inspire graphic design? And there from mindless visual titillation, your mood imagery to everything with meaning and symbolism. And if somebody were to buy that, there's something powerful embedded into that. And why, why not? I mean, so then an entire collection got created after two or three disasters, which only a brand like Asian Paints of many companies can actually handle. We had two or three disasters. That's a part of the creative process. And God knows how much money was blown up. But eventually something magical came out. And again, these are all stories. I mean, the story of uh, Rangoli, the story of, uh, like if you go to the Ennis House in California, on the and that that house has been captured in Singers King and Blade Runner and all kinds of movies. You find this uh, cement blocks, uh, which I think Frank Lloyd Wright, the guy who designed it, called as textile blocks. You find the the the, the a spiral, but they squared it off, so it's like this. It's like in the form of squares. Now the spiral comes from 
because uh, the owner was deeply interested in Mayan civilization. In the governor's bungalow in Ushmal, in the prehistoric times, and the Mayan civilization used to be there, they felt like spiral represented creativity. So because he's interested in the Mayan symbolism of creativity, he kind of communicated that to Frank Lloyd Wright, and Frank Lloyd Wright took that and put it into the exteriors of the home. So if you look at the NS house in California, the entire house, exteriors of the house is kind of made of those cement, what he called as textile blocks. But imagine being inspired by that. So it's like an endless world of possibilities uh, when you go down the path of eliciting stories then manifesting the stories as design or as brand narratives. I think it's amazing, um, Rajesh, just listening to you and you're bringing stories alive. You know, I mean, even things which you experienced probably five, 10, 15 years ago, you know, they are, you're living them and that's what stories do. You know, good stories essentially make you feel so much a part of it. I think the connection between stories and brands, I think is, is fascinating. I think it should, hopefully this will make people rethink the way they think of their brands and that connection that you can do with, with, uh, with, with people, real people, rather than just attributes that we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, <laughs> that's about time for what we have right now, Rajesh uh, and Rajesh. But I think it's, it is interesting. So if I just go back to some of the hippogrins that we've uh, shot and we've spoken to, uh, we spoke to uh, Indian selector Jatin Paranjpe and he talks about cricketing intelligence, something that's an equivalent of a dard. What is the, is his mind in the game? Does he understand cricket? Is he just playing his shots or is he really playing the game as he understands it? And that what separates a champion from a want-to-be champion kind of a thing. And he talks about Shubham Gill and uh, those stories is what he speaks about. And I think it's it's very powerful. And again, you know, I give an example closer home when I heard first about the Ajarak story and the Indigo story. So my wife is Kachi and one of the things that have the pride uh, of place in her house are the Ajraks. Ajraks are just ch chadars as we see it. But to a Kachi, it is an extremely, extremely important part of it. And all the kids love their, uh, their uh, Ajraks and they've grown up with certain Ajraks. So my wife has that Ajrak, which she's kept for many, many years. And she has a very powerful emotion with it. And yes, you're right. In winter, it is warm. And in summer, it is cool because it is the original Ajrak that somebody would have gone to Kach and got it. And... Uh, the story of that Ajrak being having no borders and it has it is because it is this it is a representation of the sky and the sky is boundless that's something I learned from you Rajesh and these stories now suddenly when I look at that color blue and indigo actually how dare I call it blue and when I look at that Ajrak it is just not just a chatter it is an heirloom it is something that is priceless and when if I were to pass it on to my daughter it's just a humble Ajrak but it is so many stories that come along. And th that's where brands transcend and they start having meanings. And that's when I'm ready to own that meaning into my life as opposed to pay a price and buy something. And I think that's where the, the magic happens. And just one last thing, it's, it is a completely off, but Anindya Ghosh, he's uh, one of our earlier hippo brains and he talks about data science and data analytics, etc. And he says there are three angles to data and you need three types of people. First, you need the data engineers to sit, to clean that data, to put everything and to uh, code it and put it in a format. Second, you need the data modelers. We look at it and you model the data. And he says, third, extremely important, data storytellers who look at that data who probably are people like you, probably they're not meeting the consumers, but they are actually looking at the data day in, day out, day in, day out, day out. And with that abstraction of data, they're able to tell beautiful stories. And that brings alive a sterile subject like uh, data analytics to life. And that makes it center stage. So Rajesh, I think it's absolutely brilliant talking to you. It brings alive why stories are important and therefore it 
probably connects all that we've done on Hippobrain and in my career and whatever I've been. I owe you a huge debt of thanks. Uh, thank you, Rajesh, for being on Hippobrain. Any last words from you, Rajesh? Not really. I mean, I think, I'm sure we all exposed to stories and we, are, we, we all have our own stories. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's powerful that you ran this uh, conversation because I think, I feel like, uh, I feel like, I mean, I, I think, uh, was it Maya Angelou who told it? There's nothing more painful than a story that's not been told. Uh, I think it was Maya Angelou in one of her uh, poems or she told it in a manner of a quote. But there's nothing more painful than a story that's not been told. And uh, I think uh, we can do it, brands can do it. Uh, your Azraq, which has got the history of Indus Valley civilization embedded into that cloth. It's, it's maybe 5,000 years old, two and, at least 2,500 years old. And the story of uh, the deep, dark blue ocean as seen from the sky, and the story of the deep, dark blue sky as seen from the ocean is what you hold in your house. Uh, I mean, how beautiful. You just made it. It was already at this level. You just took it <laughs> another level. Thanks, Rajesh. That is something only what you can do. We try to tell these stories on Hippo Brain. We take one story at a time, one hour at a time. And of course, we always breach it because these stories are absolutely brilliant. We try and encompass it, but they are not. You have to go through all of them. And these Hippo Brains, we think is these stories that we've heard. We want you guys to hear about it. We want you to spread the word. We want you to subscribe and listen to it. They have changed my life, each and every one of them. I hope they will change yours. It's a different take on economics, on politics, on brand, on technology, on whatnot. I think we've come up with so many and I really wish you spread the word. Thank you, Rajesh, for being with us. Salaiwar, you've always been an inspiration. Thank you all and thank you for today. Thank you.